hey, this is Scott Beeson, author of The Whole Person Workplace. If you're wanting to learn about how to embrace change and navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, Dennis Giannotsis. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey, welcome to the show, Leadership is Changing. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. The purpose of the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. Hey, listeners, it's now time to adapt in our fast-moving world, and I want to welcome you to today's episode. Hey, listeners, I want to welcome my guest for today. His name is Dr. Scott Beaton. He is a professor of management and Silverman Global Faculty Fellow at Fairleigh Dickinson University. He's also an author of several books. His latest one is The Whole Person Workplace, which he will talk about very soon with us as well. He's also appeared on media and several TV and radio side of things and also written quite a bit for quite a lot of magazines and so forth. So a big welcome to you, Scott. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Hey, great to have you here. Hey, so given brief introduction to our listeners about you, tell us a little bit more about your background and also tell us a little bit about your book. Right, great. So I'm, as you said, I'm a professor of management at Fairleigh Dickinson University in New Jersey, United States. And I've been a, a researcher and scholar in things like work-life balance and things like parental leave and what companies can do to help people with work-life challenges for a long time. I also teach things like human resource management and supervisory management and leadership. And about 10 years ago, I got into this, what I like to call my, my mid-career crisis, where I was get just very frustrated as an academic that you, know, you spend all this time doing research and collecting data and writing articles, and they have very little reach outside of academia. So I started asking myself, like, what do I really want to do here? And it's to get good information about how people can rise to their work-life challenges. So I started doing much more public-facing work, including the writing and the media and things like that. But my first thing I wanted to do was get good information to working parents. And I saw that there was a real lack of information for working fathers, which led to my first book, which is called The Working Dad Survival Guide, which is advice and encouragement for fathers trying to balance work and family. Just there was, you know, just no information there to help dads with good, actionable advice based on like actual research and things. And then after that, I turned my attention to working with employers and companies because they really need this help. So I've done some consulting and workshops and speaking there. And this work has culminated in the book here today, which is called The Whole Person Workplace. Building better workplaces through work-life wellness and employee support, and what I try I, I try to do in the book, and hopefully I do it well, 
is show that the real way to have business success is to value employees as whole people, not just as like part of the machine or like a part of the person that you get from nine to five, but as a person with lives and with a life and priorities and responsibilities and stressors and challenges outside of work. And if we expand as employers, as leaders, we expand our level of care to our employees to help them rise to their work-life challenges and help them with their other life priorities. It creates powerful workplace cultures where great things happen, where people are feel better in their lives, do better in their lives, are more well, and it also rebounds to business success. And in the book, I interviewed about 50 different representatives from about 50 different employers, ranging from big multinationals that span the world to literally a 12-person convenience store in this little mountain town and everything in between to show that any employer can do a lot of this on different budgets and with different types of employees, depending on your situation. So that's me and that's my current work with the the whole person workplace, which I'm really proud of and happy to talk about today. Awesome. Hey, thanks for sharing that. I've got some questions around what you've just shared. One of them is, you know how you talked about the the large global multinational organizations versus the 12 convenience store Did you notice any difference, even though there was a scale side of things? Was there any difference? Well, I'm trying to give positive examples out into the world. So I talked to companies that I knew and through reputation or I knew through my work and and network that they would have a set of values around being kind of pro-employee in their approaches. So there was similarity there. Of course, there's big differences. You have these large bunch of national companies with large professionalized human resources departments. And then you have, you know, somebody who's working out of back office with teenagers walking in and out of the, the, you know, so there's so many differences. But at heart, I think the commonality, at least for the people that I profiled in the, the workplaces I profiled, was, you know, having this set of whole person workplace values. And then the differences is really how it's expressed. I mean, the big companies can offer you know a wide range of benefits and can pour resources into these things. And you know, a small convenience store, a small furniture manufacturer, they have different challenges. And but they can do things differently because they're small and they can really get to know their people. So it was an interesting education speaking to all these organizations, especially because I talked to most of them in the summer of last summer, while they were all trying to figure out how are we going to take care of our people and our business during the pandemic. Yeah. Okay. And the people that you interviewed, were they American-based or was it across the globe? It was well overrepresented in the United States. There were a few from other places, one or two from Europe. But yeah, it was. it's pretty much uh, lessons from, I guess, a wide range of American companies. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool. And all those multinationals also have teams within other sure. countries as well that they lead, so that's all good. So you talked about just then about the, the pandemic and how a lot of people are sort of working through things. And what I found, Scott, with the leaders that I've worked with around the globe is that they they found it hard, and a lot of people are finding it hard when they're in lockdown working from home, that transition, right? They didn't have to transition from home to work and work to home. They transitioned from the bedroom to the bedroom or the bedroom to the lounge or kitchen. When you spoke to the, these people as well, what, what did they find? Did they... Was that hard for them or what did they do to get around it? Yeah, it, it was hard because this was not a planned transition, right? This is something people were forced mm. into. So even people who were very reluctant to do this were kind of forced into it. Now, some workplaces had already built in flexibility and remote work and things, and they were 10 steps ahead because they already knew how to, how to handle these situations. 
But yeah, so one of the main challenges for people who are working remotely or working from home is there's that blurred line between work time and the rest of your time. And, you know, if your computer is always there and you could always be working, well, how do you how do you discipline yourself to shut it off and shut yourself off, especially if your employer is not helping you do that? So some of the employers, I, again, I talked to the employers that really get it. They were doing things like, you know, enforcing that people really shut down when they're done with the day. And some even had company-wide kind of mental health days that they just said, this Friday, everybody's off, paid day off, just clear your head, you know, you know, breathe, spend time with family, don't worry about work for, for the long weekend. So there were some that really helped with this and others that, you know, at least provided things like, you know, online wellness programs and, you know, other supports and things like that. But it was a hard time for everybody, obviously. I mean, what we had to live through or still are living through uh, for the last 18 months is really, really hard. And managing people through this and leading people through this is an extreme challenge. It would be a shame if we went through all of this and didn't learn any lessons about how we might be able to do things better or differently in the workplace, right? It would be a real shame if we just went back to the way things were instead of realizing, hey, work could be done more flexibly or we need to be more consistent some of the other things going on in people's minds or, or in people's lives or we need to be more mindful about the wellness and mental health of our employees, which we might not have considered before, but now is very clear yeah. that it's really, really important to do. Yeah, it is. And I, I, I agree. I mean, I hope they people will remember things because it's important for us to learn from our, our past and what we've gone through and so forth and then build on that. What we noticed that in this part of the world, we had the first initial lockdown for seven to eight weeks hard and then we came out of it and then we had more zero COVID cases for, for a long, long time. But what we did notice is that people, as soon as we went down the levels of lockdown, people just switched back into that normal no- mode of what they were before. And they forgot a lot of those things too. Yeah. But the other thing we found too, though, Scott, was leaders found it hard to get people back into the office. Yes. Yeah. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that too, that because, you know, people being used to working from home, now trying to transition back in around people, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see the whole transition happen. Absolutely. We talked about some of the downsides and the, the, the struggles of working from home, but the upsides are also really there for a lot of people. Mm. Where I live in the orbit of New York City, commutes are horrible. And if you can avoid commuting two, three days a week going forward, you know, you're going to want to do that. You'll be home for family dinner. You'll be there for your kids' events. You know, and even if it's just ad hoc flexibility, like I can come in when I need to, I can be home if I need to, you know, I think this is really important going forward. So I think that ultimately, at least in the United States, I think a hybrid workplace where there's some in office and some at home is probably where most companies are going to land. But listen, if work, if some people thrived working from home, let them work from home more. If some people really missed the social aspect of work or do their best work in, a, in the hubbub of an office, let them come to the office most of the time. Just make sure we have enough communication and you know, many companies figured out how to do that remotely or from a distance or you know, all of that before. So there's real upsides and downsides to, to workplace, how the workplace changed through the pandemic. And maybe that's a silver lining in this horrible dark cloud that we've all had to live with. Yep, yep. And it'd be really interesting to see how those companies will do actually handle it, right? Some people, some companies just do lip service and some of them is just a chick, tick in the box. And yes. I really hope they do take things out from this learning, but also looking after their employees really well, which is good. Yes. So, Scott, how did you get into leadership? Well, again, I've been a 
an academic and a scholar in this area for a while. So I've, I've been teaching leadership and organizational behavior and uh, other issues like that to MBA students for quite a while. I've done research mostly in the work-life sphere, but certainly this relates to leadership lessons and things like that. So even though I have rarely actually led a team or a workplace myself, I've been a scholar of it, and then I've done a lot of consulting and workshops with leaders of various stripes, really helping them primarily with the change management required to implement really good work-life programs, parental leave, flexibility, et cetera. So that's my experience with leadership. Yeah, and it's really important experience. In fact, that you're developing our leaders for tomorrow, right, which is which is really, really important. And also going into organizations to help the leaders out and, and helping them move forward as well, which, which is a really, really good thing. Scott, you may have several here, but I'm going to just ask you, who is your one? Who's your favorite leader? Now, this person could be alive or from history. Who's your favorite leader and why? Well, one of the people that I wound up researching for the book has become, my, one, my I think, my favorite leader. He's an organizational leader, CEO. You might have heard of him because the, he made a lot of headlines about five years ago. His name is Dan Price. He's the CEO of Gravity Payments, which you might have heard they had uh, in the United States, in the Seattle area. He wound up implementing in his company a $70,000 minimum salary in his company. And he greatly reduced his own salary as a part of doing this. And... You know, he did this based on conversations with friends he had in the Seattle area who were finding very hard to make ends meet on moderate salaries um, and how like one traffic accident or one health issue or whatever could really have these financial consequences. And then he read the research that said, you know, the relationship between happiness and money is it's always more money makes you happier. But it's a very strong relationship till about 70 or 70,000, 70 to $75,000 a year. And then it, you know, levels off a bit, right? Mm. The difference between making $30,000 a year and $70,000 a year in terms of happiness is so much more than the difference between making 330000 to 370000 right? So he saw this and he's like, you know what? I just want everybody in my company to have like a baseline financial stability to have a decent life. And I thought that was extraordinary that he did that. And he, it, from his values. And in the first two years, once this was announced, first off, the business boomed because he got all this great publicity. So everybody wanted to work there, first off. And secondly, you know, all these companies wanted to do work with their company, with Gravity Payments. And secondly, within the first two years, 12 employees, they and or their they or their spouse had babies within the next two years after this announcement was made. So many others put like down payments on their houses and all these other things that they were not able to do before they had this financial stability. So, And now he's like this very outspoken advocate for a more ethical approach to leadership and how, you know, it's gotten out of whack, at least in the United States, and I'm sure in many other places too, this how leaders have enriched themselves while salaries for normal people have, have stayed relatively level for quite a while. And so he's really been advocating this from a CEO's point of view. So he's my favorite kind of role model of a whole person value leader, even though I didn't get to talk to him for the book, which just it never quite worked out. But I certainly tell the story of, of what Gravity Payments did. Yeah, and I like what you just shared there, the whole person value leader. That's that's really quite yeah. cool what I just heard there too. And, you know, the guy, by the sounds of it, gone out and led from the front in the sense that he took the reduction as well and, and then pushed this to go happen and now also continuing to fight for it for others yeah. and, and so forth in the industry. And I think that's that's a wonderful thing to know because so many people just do something because it's the flavor of the month or it's a good thing to do, or it's a marketing ploy. 
but he's done more than that. It's, it's not that. It's it's he's actually living and breathing and being and using those words that you just used before. That he's a role model. He's actually yeah. out there doing it right. So that's yep. that's a wonderful thing to see. Yeah, yeah great yeah. example. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, the show here is called Leadership Is Changing, and when I when I mentioned that title, well, what does that mean to you? Well, I love the title because you could take it so many different directions in so many different ways, which is, I'm sure that's why you chose it. But yeah, it means a couple of things. One, you know, leadership means helping people change, develop and progress, right? So it's kind of change management is leadership in many ways, but also leadership, what's required of being an excellent leader today, I think has changed. Again, the way I come to it is leaders who are better at listening, being empathetic, and then taking steps, even if they're unconventional, are going to be the more successful leaders because you're really going to enlist the engagement and the focus of so many others if you do that. And I really think that, you know, kind of the servant leadership model is something that really needs to be become more prominent in, in leadership circles. You know, not follow me because, but follow me because I'm taking care of you. Yeah, well, follow me because this is our purpose, us as an organization, yeah. us as a country or a state, wherever we're going this way, and let, let's go and do it for sure. Yeah, yeah, cool. And and are you seeing, well, let me, let me ask you this way, for your business or industry, for a lot of us in the last 18 months and so forth, we've gone through a lot with these lockdowns, as you said. So have you seen any change for your business or industry, and has it put any other demands on you? Sure. Well, in higher education, which is where my day job is, yeah, things have really changed. You know, again, like most of the rest of the world, we had to go online very quickly and, you know, continue our semester and everything. And we had to, I think as a professor, it made me, first off, I learned a lot about tech and how hybrid classrooms and other things can work well and what doesn't work well and what, you know, I've learned those lessons. But also, you know, I think that it made me a little more empathetic to my students who were dealing with all this stuff. And you think about college students who miss out on having a graduation or the last semester of college when you're all with your friends and it's this golden time in your life. And so many of them, they were positioned to get really good jobs. And then, you know, the hiring freezes and all this, these things happen. So, you know, I try to keep these in mind, you know, as we've gone back to an in-person semester just a couple of weeks ago, now we have vaccine mandates and we are masking indoors and we're, we're taking precautions, but our students are so happy to actually be back on campus. And I feel like, you know, the leadership at my university and so many universities really had a balance, right? The, the safety of employees and students with, kind of, you know, the, what colleges and universities can do uniquely for students. And, you know, it's a tricky balance and I don't know if everybody got it right, but, you know, I think that's how leadership in higher education maybe has changed. Um, some of the other things I do in terms of, you know, speaking and workshops and things, you know, a lot of that translates pretty well to Zoom and, to, you know, other platforms and, and things like that. And I think from a thought leadership point of view, you know, we're not having as many conventions and conferences, although they're coming back. You know, I think, I think a lot of, a lot of stuff is going to stay in the virtual world just to cut down on travel costs and all these other things too. Yeah, sure. And uh, I mean, would have been really interesting to be in the room with you when, when just to see what you're well, going through your thoughts and so forth as those first students came back into the room into a live scenario. I mean, what, what was going through your mind when you went, when you experienced that? Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm, I mean, my, my mask was covering it, but I was smiling ear to ear. You know, I miss that. I mean, I'm, I, I think you just through this conversation, you could tell I'm, I'm kind of a, an extrovert and I li like to yeah. really get to know my 
students in my university is one where we cap our class sizes at like 25 or 30. So professors really get to know their students. I'm the lead professor for our uh, human resource management program. So I really know those students and I'm really like, you know, passionate about getting them internships and jobs and connecting them to alumni and all these things. So to me, you know, while the education went pretty well on Zoom or whatever else, I missed like the 10 minutes before class, the 10 minutes after class, the break in the middle where you have those conversations. And I think a lot of employees, right, in the, in the working world have missed these as well. So I was really happy and I felt like I'm just so glad that our students are starting to get, you know, the experiences that, that they deserve. Yeah, I agree. And you know what, for myself, traveling the world over the 20 years, whatever, doing uh, workshops and so forth, it was, whether it was a one-day workshop, three-day, five-day, it didn't matter. It was in the hallways, it was in the breaks, it was in the lunch, it was in the dinners afterwards and things like that. That's where the networking, the relationship building and the learning happened a lot because you got to know people, but then you could talk about the topic that was being talked about today, but then make it relevant to people. And and I think that's the thing that the virtual piece misses for sure. Yeah, you and I could get onto a Zoom call or a Teams call, whatever, afterwards or on a phone call and have a chat about things. But it's it's a little bit different, eh? Yeah, and so... Yeah. Absolutely. Well, mm. the point of conferences, right, is to really meet and network people and that, that's yeah. harder to do, right? Um, academic conferences, you know, people like present their research papers. I can read a research paper. You know, that that's not... Doesn't really have to be in person, but you know, getting together with people from universities from all over the country and all over the world—that's hard to recreate, right? So, you know, I hope we yeah. can get back to some of that. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm going to ask this question a little bit differently for you. In that sense, as as a professor, as an author, and so forth, and somebody who's on the media and so forth a fair bit. If there was one thing that you could change in business as a professor leader today, what would it be? Well, I think, you know, I, I might have partially answered this already in, in your previous question, but I, I really would like to see more, again, kind of a servant leadership model where the leaders are there to create kind of a, a workplace that works for everyone, it doesn't just work for leadership or management. And if we can make build better workplaces that work for more people, that's what I'd really like to see because, you know, I think what comes around goes around. You, you should start from a sincerely held value that I want to help my employees with their life challenges. If I could provide resources or programs or just a little empathy and flexibility to do that, I will. But the recognition that by doing that, you're going to attract and retain really great talent. They're going to be engaged. They're going to bring it back to you and they're going to bring it back to each other mm. where it creates a more kind of mutual, a culture of mutual care. And so that's what I'd like to see. Again, I profile lots of workplaces that do a lot of this, but I know it's not universal. Um, and I'd like to see it become much more widespread. Nice. A culture of mutual care. That's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So let's take the lenses off from a, from a leader's perspective and let's put the lens on now from an employee's perspective. How do you think employees' expectations yeah. of leaders changed? Well, we're seeing in the United States, and I don't know how global this is, but this summer it was called the Great Resignation or the Great Reset, where <laughs> a lot of employers, it was very hard for employers to hire employees, especially in harder jobs or in lower paying jobs. And so, you know, restaurants weren't able to, you know, staff up once, you know, the summer it looked like we were in pretty good shape and things were opening back up. Lots, and even in the professional world, there were lots of employers who were looking to hire and couldn't hire enough people and, and seemed to be short staffed. And I think this all deals with employee expectations of what leaders uh, should be providing. 
And I think now, at least in the United States, we have a labor market where power is shifted a little bit to the job seeker and to the, to the employee. And I think they're being smart to say, listen, I expect to have decent workplace conditions. I expect to be treated like a person and not just a part of the machine. And if, you know, I expected over the last 18 months for them to be at least to have some consideration for my situation. And I expect going forward that I'm going to have some flexibility or some, you know, voice in how we're going to, you know, create the new workplace. And if they see that these are expectations are not going to be met, they're going to move on and try to find an organization that does. So I think the companies that have, again, you know, I'm, I'm using my catchphrase, the whole person workplace values, you know, are going to find it easier to retain and engage their employees. And frankly, they're going to get much more, many more applications than organizations that have not owned that type of reputation. Yep. And I, I, and, I'll tell you what. And also, if I could just jump in one other thing, I work with college students and this generation is much more upfront about what they're looking for. And mm. I think it's awesome and it has led to good workplace changes. I know some people think Gen Z is kind of pushy and has haven't earned what they're like advocating for or pushing for. And I'm like, too bad. Like, good. They're, we should have been pushing for this stuff all along and I'm glad they're coming along and doing it. Oh, absolutely. And I think what they're actually saying is that they want decent, strong leadership. That's what they're looking for. And yep. and, and it's definitely it. And going back to what you were saying before in relation to people finding jobs, it's the same around the world. We, we found it here as well and in other countries that I know of, whereby, you know, you would have 200, 300 people applying for a job. Today, you're getting one, two or three people applying for the same job. People aren't moving as much or going back to what you said earlier on, the retention and also the attraction of talent that's having to be used a lot more now because to A, get attracted talent and then to hold on to the talent that you've got because as you said, if they're not seeing what they're seeing or they're not getting what they need, see you later, they're off and yeah, um, I, they're totally moving on. I just had got an email from a really good student from a couple of years ago and she emailed me asking if I'd be a reference for her. She's looking for a new job, but she said she learns a lot in her first two years in her job, but she feels like she's plateaued. She's not learning anymore. And her boss seems somewhat indifferent to her requests for more development. And now she's down, you know, interviewing for other jobs. And I think that's that's a good indicator, right? And if if you can continue to grow and develop and have a good experience, you're gonna stay. And if if not, people are much more willing to to not just stick around in a subpar situation. They're they're looking to to move on to a better one. Yeah, and I think what, you know, going back to your book, right? The whole person side of things in the workplace there, it's really, really important for leaders nowadays to look at the whole person, not just the something within the person or, you know, and, and then look for their weaknesses. They could look at the whole person and how that whole that person fits into the workplace. And it's so important for nowadays to make sure that we are looking after those employees and, and giving them what they need for them to fly, for them to succeed, for them to move on. And if that means that they need to move on from our organization, yeah, we don't want them to leave. But you know what? That's our success story as well. And that's what our role is as leaders is to make sure we set people up for success. Yeah. Mm. Well said. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So we're in a fast-paced, change, ever-changing world, and you've already mentioned a few things as well. But do you think there's anything else that a leader, you know, what makes a leader successful today in a fast-paced, ever-changing world? Well, I mean, just the fast pace of change means that one person can't see everything that's happening. Right. So you know, one perspective is not enough. You need lots of eyes on what's going on. And that means, you know, enrolling a lot of people into your decision making process and your listening process. And I think that's really the key. 
to being being able to be agile is you know one person's mind can't handle it all you need to develop really good teams to help you out and do that and that you know starts with listening and empathy and being willing to act in unconventional ways maybe you know like you know we like we talked about Dan Price before doing something unconventional but you know many business organizations have done you know that never would have done remote work now are embracing it right and many leaders who might not have you know understood the importance of employee physical and mental health and well-being right have have recognized this now and you know so i think it's important that we enroll lots of people so that we're better at listening and and seeing the changes that are relevant for us. Yeah, hey listeners, I wish you could see Scott on the video. He is so energetic and I love your energy there, Scott, and the way that you're talking about these things because you know why? I think a lot of it comes down to your passion, right? It's your purpose. It's and it's and it actually shows as well, which is really cool to see. So yeah, Thanks. good on you. I, I do feel very passionately about this stuff. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, it shows. It definitely does show in your voice, but also the way that you're saying things for sure. So if I was get you to get your crystal ball out now and think about the future, where do you see leadership in five years from now? Huh. Predicting the future seems to be a sucker's game these days, right? We, we keep yeah. thinking we, we know what's happening, but you know, who would have thought two years ago, right? We're, we're dealing with what we're dealing with. But I think you know, the world is only going to get more complex. Things are only going to move faster and things are only going to be more interconnected. So those long-term trends are going to continue. And I think you know, really this, you know, goes back to what we just said about, I think, you know, you as a leader, you can't really do this alone. You can't, it's the seas are too difficult to navigate just by yourself. I think you need to, to really build teams around you that, that can really help you do that. And, you know, also from a workplace point of view, we need to build resilient workplaces because COVID is not the last disruption that's going to happen. Here in New York City, we just had this horrible rainstorm. I don't know if you saw any of this on the news halfway around the world, but, you know, our subway system is underwater and people were trapped in houses. And it was really like things like that are going to happen, right? And disruptions are going to happen. And resilient workplaces can work more flexibly. When you get people who are committed, you allow for more ways to get work done, right? So from an organizational leadership point of view, I think, we should really think about how do we build the most resilient organizations and workplaces. And that includes overcoming temporary obstacles or worldwide pandemics or you know, whatever other challenges uh, might come up. So I guess those are the two things. Get, you can't do it alone. You need to build teams around yourself and then also building resilient organizations. And I submit that whole person workplaces would be more resilient than those that don't really include or you know, really value employees in, in that way. Yeah, absolutely. And and being resilient, it's not I mean, when you say the workplace, you're talking about the whole organization as a business, but also the people within yeah. it. Yeah, sure. yep. So yep, yep. And absolutely. It's it's really, really important for sure. And if we can be more resilient, I'm going and I can relate to what you're just saying about the the floods and so forth. So it just here in this city of Auckland, New Zealand, we have I mean, New Zealand went into lockdown again hard for the last two weeks. New Auckland's gonna stay in this for another two weeks and maybe more. And then the other day we had floods. And then yesterday we had a terrorist type of stabbing attacks oh, as right. well. Yes. Yeah, yes. And it's just like, what's going on here? I mean, it's just amazing. But, you know, people need to be resilient. And it's when I'm saying need to be, they, we're going to have to become, and I think we have become more resilient than we are two years ago because we've gone through the pandemic and other things. And yeah. and it is actually uh, pretty, pretty interesting to see for sure. Hey, um, Scott, thank you for joining us on today's show. If our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where should they go? 
my personal website is scottbeeson.com, S-C-O-T-T-B-E-H-S-O-N.com. I have a weirdly spelled last name. But really where I'd love you to check me out is to take a look at the whole person workplace, which I know in, in the United States is available anywhere books are sold. I have been assured that Amazon websites throughout the world carry the book. So for our international audience, that's probably the best place to go. Just go to Amazon and click in your little window, whole person workplace. And I'm so proud of this book. I really think we're, it's going to help build better workplaces that work for everyone. And what I'm hoping to do in my life, and this is kind of my own personal little mantra, is I want to make the world just a little bit of a better place, one workplace at a time. You know, I hope you can come along with me on that. I'm also, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. You can find me pretty easily because my last name, again, is oddly spelled. So there's not that many of me in the world. Thank you so yeah. much. Awesome. Scott, once again, thanks for joining me on the show today. It's been a pleasure having this chat about Leadership is Changing. So thank you. Yeah, thank you, guys. So listeners, what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is incredibly scary, especially the unknown and unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Hey, look out for the episodes as they're being released. Download them, have a listen, put a review and a rating. Feel free to share them with your friends, your family, and your network. If there's any feedback you'd like to give me about the show, or if there's a question you have for me on the Ask Dennis Freestyle episode, send me an email, dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. Hey, listeners, it's always a pleasure being with you. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 